The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Are we having technical difficulties, though? No, we're good now. And this, okay. is, and this is episode number 79. Awesome. So we're about a year and a half into this. We are. We are. That's amazing. Yep. It's amazing to think about because I always say I like doing the podcast every week because I have like a captive audience of all the people that, you know, we kind of log in, download and listen to it. And um, I think it's really nice. I always said I wanted my soapbox in life. Like I always had, I wanted like a platform where I could stand up and like scream at the masses about my opinions and thoughts and feelings on matters. And, you know, it, it's good to have this because honestly, each week in the news, I, I see stories of what's going on in the drug crisis and it's it's not good news and so every week i love to come on here and discuss with you like hey this is what's going on this is what we need to do to fix it and then we get all these other people that share a lot in our viewpoints um to kind of stress you know where things are at you know hear stories of success and you know i think it's an amazing thing because we have to give hope in all the darkness because the drug crisis is pretty dark i was actually talking to um Someone today who is writing an article on the overall drug crisis, and they, they asked me, they said, well, what's your thought on you know the localized drug problem in Pinellas County where Clearwater is? And I said, you have to get out of that. Uh, so I told this woman, you know, you have to take out of your vocabulary that um, the drug problem is localized because it's not localized. Like back in the day, there were areas of the country where drugs were more prevalent than another. And you like you had one bad town over here, one bad spot in this state or one bad spot in that state. But now it's like the problem is widespread to the point where drugs are bad in every town, in every city, in every state. And it's countrywide. It's no longer a localized problem. She found that to be really interesting because uh, her focus was kind of on the local area. And I said, you know, you can go pretty much anywhere because and get drugs because now it's not like you have to put a lot of work in to get a drug connection because back in the day you did like you had to know someone that knew someone that they can introduce you to someone and vouch for you. And then you did a bunch of work and made yourself quote unquote trustworthy um, and and got that drug connection. And that like took weeks. Um, But now all you need is a credit card and an internet connection to get drugs. And so it's just a whole different ball game. And that's kind of what we're dealing with here. And I think that's why the drug abuse problem is as bad as it is, is because drugs are just so more, much more easily accessible than they ever have been in history. Yeah, And I think that's one of the biggest issues that we've got driving this thing is that d- drugs are too easy to get, way too easy. And right now we have an opposite problem of years ago, because years ago you had the problem of you know drug users were getting ripped off because the drugs were so cut, they were too weak and didn't get you high. But now it's the opposite and they're so strong that you might die. And so, you know, I kind of discussed all this and, um, you know, I had my own kind of realizations and cognitions through the whole thing. And it's just, that's a really, it's an interesting concept. I mean, if you look at it, addiction is one of those things that's been around the human culture for thousands of years. I mean, you can go back to ancient civilizations and see instances of alcohol abuse. And so, you know, I'm glad for us to do what we do to give people the information they need that I'm hoping Every week I come on here, you come on here, and we discuss these matters as far as the drug problem goes. That somebody decides to put some like action behind something to get their loved one or themselves into treatment. I agree. And if anybody listened to the episode we did last week where we were talking to Michael DeLeon, I mean, come on. If you want to hear how bad it can get, 
you don't want it to get that bad for anybody. Yeah. You know, that's I mean, an unbelievable story. I know it's a, it is. And the fact that he is just dedicating his life to make a difference in this area is, you know, it's pretty stellar and you have to believe that there's a higher power that wanted him to stay alive and get out of jail in order to do what he's doing today. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's the thing. And I find that's like a really common thread among a lot of people that get clean is that once you get clean, I mean, you, you did something that at one point in your life you thought was impossible. Right. It's kind of like you beat the odds and, and you did what the very thing that for me, at least at doctors and therapists and counselors and my parents even thought was impossible that I would ever get clean. And so a lot of us dedicate our lives to helping other people because we understand that kind of like dark rabbit hole you kind of fall into as a result of your choices is uh, i mean as far as your choice to use drugs in the first place and so it's kind of like always like hindsight is twenty twenty. if i knew then what i know now right um i might have done something different i'm i'm hoping that i and you prevent somebody from picking up that first drug and once they do i hope we're empowering families to do something about it immediately Versus saying, well, it's just pot. Oh, it's just alcohol. Well, he just took a couple of Xanax. He was anxious. It's like, I don't, no, 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 no. I want to curb that now because I know there's a lot of heartache and there's a lot of problems families will go through and it's completely unnecessary. That's right. That's right. And we talk, this is the time of year when, you know, you need to get your loved one into treatment or you yourself need to get into treatment. If you're listening and you're addicted, you need to get yourself into treatment now. And this concept of like, oh, well, we just want our loved one around for the holidays. No, 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 no. First of all, your loved one is not really going to be around for the holidays. And so you need to get them into treatment now. And and you can weigh the the idea that you know, maybe you might see them like five minutes out of the day when they're high versus having them with you and sober for the rest of their lives. I mean, to me, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, I realize I don't have an addicted loved one. But with everything I've been through on this podcast, and everybody I've spoken to, if I knew somebody that was addicted, I would definitely not have the viewpoint, oh, let's wait until the new year. Bad idea. Right. Exactly. And it's because you and I know what we know and see what we see. I feel like a lot of families out there, and this is just my opinion, it's like a face saver almost. Like things aren't as bad as they seem. At least they're there. And then afterwards and the families all go back to wherever they're from. Then they go to treatment. No one really has to know about it. But the thing is families need as much support as possible when you're dealing with a loved one. Instead of hiding it from everyone, I'm of the mind to say, let the family know what's going on because – I always say, you know, probably four heads are better than two heads in an equation. You've got a mom and a dad that are trying to figure out how to deal with their son or daughter that's addicted. You know, get other viewpoints from family members who are supportive of them getting treatment and Good. getting well and getting, you know, drug free. It's always better to have, you know, kind of rally the troops than do it on your own. Right. I agree. So, I agree. And well, we have a yeah. we actually have an interview today that I did while you were in South Florida, and mm-hmm. we I interviewed a lady named Kathy Dion, and she wrote a book. It's available on Amazon. It's called After Rehab: A Simple Guide to Aid in Lasting Sobriety. And Kathy is a CADC, which we discussed is a certified alcohol and drug counselor. Yep. Did I say that right? Okay, good. She's got yep, other she's so. got other initials that um 
Oh, yeah. She's a certified alcohol and drug counselor, clinical supervisor. She's an internationally certified clinical supervisor. She explained it on the back. I should have just read, read lower. And she's also a CCAPP, which is the California Consortium of Addiction Programs and Professionals. And she's worked in the field for 20 years, and she's helped thousands of individuals um, through the rehabilitation phase. And um, she's also uh, mentored different residential facilities. And she wrote this book, and it is very simple. I want to tell you, it is such a simple guide to... Uh, 10 different steps that um, would be useful to a recovering uh, or an addict who's recovered um, or to the family and friends of a former addict. And there, it's just a very, very simple guide. So why don't I go ahead and play that interview? All right. Sounds good. Okay. Well, Kathy, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, great. Thanks for having me. Now, let me ask you, I've, you know, I've given the background on what it says basically on the back of your book and that you've been in the um, addiction arena or the rehab arena for 20 years. What first got you into the area of addiction and rehab? Well, I mean, of course, um, you know, my teenage years and my early 20s, I definitely, you know, had my share of drug use. Now, luckily, I did um, snap out of it before it was, uh, you know, too late or it had gone too far and I, I got out of it and changed my environment. So I always had, you know, a desire to help in that field, you know, and of course, when you're in that environment, you you hear and see you know, your friends and comrades and coworkers, you know, kind of go down the tubes. Right. And um, so, you know, and some lost their life. So that was, that was the wake up call for me that made me decide to like, I need to change something before I end up, you know, dead or in jail or on the street or whatever. So um, I did completely change. I completely, I actually even left the state um, to completely change the environment. And luckily there were some people that, you know, helped me along the way. And so that always um, brought up my affinity for those in need and those in need, especially with addiction or alcoholism. And then years later, um, a very good friend of mine had, you know, a pretty heavy heroin addiction and had tried many different ways to handle it. And it wasn't really resolving and, um, you know, found something that worked and um, opened up a center. And, and, of course, this intrigued me. And he asked me to come and help him with just some um, staffing training and, and um, hiring and things like that. And then I got more and more involved with the rehab side of things and then decided to become certified. And then here we are almost 20 years later, you know, still in the field. Right. What does it take to get certified? Well, you know, every state is different. So it really depends on where you at, you are, you know, you live and where you're interested um, in working. You know, you can always just go through your local college and get a degree that way. Um, so if, but, I'm sorry like to I cut said, you, I'm sorry to cut you off. So if you're certified in California, for example, you might not be certified here in Florida 
without further, Correct. is it, do you, this, I know this is a little bit off track, but do you typically have to do further training in other states or is it just a matter of visiting like a licensing body and getting licensed? Again, every state is a little different and, okay. you know, some may be more strict than others. Some rehabs, you know, actually require um, some pretty extensive training and some of them even have master's level. Oh, wow. You know, so you have to go to school to get your master's level, you know, credentials. Other states are a little bit different. Sometimes if you have a credential in one state and you want to transfer it to another state, they will um, take your certification into consideration and your schooling, and they will give you credit for that. And, you know, maybe you'll be able to be grandfathered in or, you know, you may have to do some more continuing education to get up to speed, and you may have to be required to, you know, take some more testing just so that it's the equivalent of that state. Now, my certificate, I do have one that is just for California, and then I also have one that is internationally recognized. Okay, yeah, I was just wondering, I was because I was thinking there ought to be some kind of uh, national, at least, standard so that you could, because here's the thing, Drugs are drugs, and whether you're in Oklahoma or whether you're in Florida, drugs are drugs, and they do the same thing. And, you know, rehab does the same. Th I mean, different rehabs obviously do different things, but but it doesn't make sense to me that a state would have different – one state would have different training than another. I mean, it just kind of sounds like a little bit silly. It would make sense to me that there would be just some sort of national certification. So that, that makes kind of sense to me. Because like I say, drugs are no different in California than they are in Florida. No, unfortunately, they're not. Right. So interesting that there's an internet. Is there a national certification you can get or just international and by state? You know, it's, it's by state. And also, you know, really what they're gearing up for, and I think this is the future, is that they're going to require some college education and some college credentials right. in the future. I, I think that's, unfortunately, that's where it's headed. It, they're no longer going to, I don't think they're going to allow just a straight certification. I think you're going to have to have a, at least a bachelor's level degree of some kind. Well, and I don't have a problem with that as long as the college courses actually teach what needs to be taught. Do you know what I mean? Correct. If, but if I they're, totally know what you mean. Yeah, but if they're all along the lines of what we've talked about on the podcast several times, which is the model of, oh, addiction is a brain disease, and therefore the only way to treat such a brain disease is with a brain-altering drug. And if that's going to be mm -hmm. the standard that's going to get taught in colleges and universities, well, that's pretty scary. Because we know that's not the case. And um, I would hate to see that happen. But as long as they could do like, decent courses, you know, that would actually, you know, I don't know, I don't even know what the courses would be, but it I shouldn't necessarily be bad if it goes that direction. But it might be just because of the way things often happen in this country. Right. And the fact that they're, you know, really pushing medically assisted treatment, which is exactly what it says, you know, replacing basically your street drug with a medical drug or a psychiatric drug or something like that. So yeah, I, I agree with you completely.
Exactly. Okay. So I know I got a little bit off track there, but I was just kind of curious about the, okay. about the certification. Um, and you've worked in different rehabs, right? Yeah, I've worked in different rehabs and I've worked in different states. Um, I've been on the ground running rehabs, opening rehabs um, on all aspects, in, in all areas, in delivery. And I've also been in a supervisor capacity and a quality control type capacity where I did, went to various facilities and did inspections and things like that. So I've, I've kind of had experience, you know, from the ground level all the way up. Right. And as you said, you had experience, you know, personal experience with drugs and also personal experience with people who, um, you know, became addicts while you didn't, which well done you. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, it was close. It was very close. Let me, let me tell you. No, Definitely. I, I understand. I mean, I, I grew up in the 70s and I saw it. I didn't, I fortunately didn't go down that road because when the media said, oh, LSD can cause you to have deformed babies. I thought, hmm, I don't know that I want to take that risk. So I, I, I just never went down that road. Um, yeah, good for you. Yep. And I also, you. thank you. And I also had never smoked. So even though all my friends were smoking marijuana at the time, I, I just didn't want to smoke, period. So anyway, there you go. I was, I was lucky. Oh, okay. I made some good choices. Yeah, you were. <laughs> so absolutely. So your book, um, which I think is very cool, um, after rehab, and what led you to write it? Well, basically, you know, after being in um, the field for twenty or so years, and you know, unfortunately, um, sometimes people don't resolve their their addiction or achieve sobriety with just one rehab stint. And, you know, the one, one thing that I, the one mistake that I saw being repeated over and over and over is, you know, whether it would be the addict or the family member or the loved one is that, you know, this person came in, Jimmy came in, he did rehab, he looks great, he sounds great, he's doing great. And then, you know, he goes home and he falls on his face and everybody's like, well, what happened? You know, we thought he was quote unquote cured. And that's the biggest misconception that I think everybody has when it comes to addiction and rehab. You know, they feel the person has done rehab and when they immediately go home, everything's going to be different. And that is just not the case because the thing you have to realize is, yes, they, they look great and they feel great and they're good intentioned, you know, and, and they should be. They've been clean for the first time, you know, however long they've been at rehab, whether it was 30 days, 60 days, 90 days longer, you know, they are doing really well and they should be acknowledged for that. However, when they leave, you know, sometimes they're going straight back into the environment they left. You know, they're going back to the same job. They're going back to where they used to live. And, you know, all the all the problems they ran into before rehab, sometimes they're going right back into that environment. Right. And, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, the loved ones are surrounding them, you know, sometimes also give them too much too fast. And what I mean when I say that is, one, they expect too much out of them. 
and then, you know, they give them too much responsibility and then they trust them immediately. And all those things have to really be earned. Right. You know, and it's like if, if the person is going to come back, um, you know, say he's, he's married and he's going back to his wife and he has a family and, you know, he's not a person who can relocate or move to another state or another city and start over, he's got to go back, then it's very important to, you know, set up parameters and and do things in advance, at least when you get immediately when you get home, to make it easier for the person back into life. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, because it's, it's sometimes it's just a little too much. They go home and they go down to the basement and this is where they used to smoke crack or they used to shoot up or they used to sneak their, you know, their hide their drugs down there, you know, and they go down there, you know, to put a box away. And then the next thing you know, they're thinking about what they used to do down there. Right. And, you know, maybe the first time, um, you know, they don't do anything about it. But maybe the 10th time or the 20th time, you know, they're having a bad day. They just got in a fight with their wife. Their boss is giving them a hard time. And, you know, they kind of start remembering, well, this is how I used to handle it in the past. And, you know, I used to just go get high. And then they start thinking, well, I could probably do it just once and I would be okay. I wouldn't be on a bender. And so that's what made me write this book is that, you know, there are things they can do to transition back into life right. before they, they actually fall on their face again. And this is by far not the only thing they can do, but they are definitely things they can start. And that's why it's called After Rehab, A Simple Guide to Aid in Lasting Sobriety. Right. Because these are very simple steps, very doable. Anybody can do them. I didn't want to fill the book with a lot of complicated you know, things that nobody's going to do or the family can't help them with. Right. You know, I'm like, let's start with something very simple. These are very doable. These are things that you can actually confront changing in your life Mm -hmm. and, you know, build on from there. Right. Well, I think one of the beauties, I think, is that, you know, uh, my co-host, Jason, who is actually traveling today, that's why he's not in the interview with us. I haven't yet mastered the art of doing two people on Skype and recording. I don't exactly know how to do that yet. But anyway, (laughs) but Jason, of course, works for Narcan on Suncoast. And um, while, you know, we don't talk all the time about Narcan on, one of the things, of course, that, you know, Narcan on addresses is, you know, what was the problem for which drugs became a solution? And I think that if, for whatever reason, whether because someone does a different rehab program, or even sometimes something can get missed at Narcanon, if that doesn't fully get addressed, I think it, it, it means it makes puts even more value on your book, because some people can't necessarily, as you said, leave rehab and go into a completely different environment. You know, they have a wife or they have kids or and they have to go back in and be in that environment. And I think if they don't have certain tools or just even a guideline that they can apply when they get back there, you know, they're, it, exactly. it's, they're headed 
possibly for disaster, which nobody wants, do you know? But, right. you know, rehab, and I and I know that Narconon, for example, and I'm sure other rehabs do this as well, I know that Narconon, like, involves the family, but even still, if I'm the mother of an addict, I'm not the one that's doing the rehab. So I'm not necessarily going to change my behavior. You know, mm -hmm. I may still be doing the same thing and pushing the same mom buttons, if you will. And so, sure. and so if my son or daughter, you know, doesn't have some tools that they can apply, um, you know, it, it just could lead to a bad thing again. Do you know? It's it, anyway, I think that absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've seen that, you know? Yeah, definitely. I know we had a we had a young man on the podcast who, um, whose dad had always wanted him to be a doctor. And he never wanted to be a doctor. And so there was always a conflict. And the young man, you know, did the Narconon program and, you know, had been clean and sober for several years, I think. And then his dad got very sick. And he kind of felt, okay, well, then I'll become a doctor. And then his dad died. And that chain of events, um, with his brother being an addict at the time, just led him back into addiction. And now he's done the program a second time. And he's, he's clean and sober again. But but I can see how there was a whole chain of events there that, you know, maybe he didn't have the tools to handle or a guideline to handle. And I think, anyway, that's what I think is, is valuable about, you know, your book. Absolutely. You know, you have to um, find new ways to cope. I mean, you know, you're not going to have a great day every day. That's just life. Right. You know, um, for the normal person, you know, or the average person who's not an addict, you know, they have other, you know, coping mechanisms. They know how to handle that. For for an addict who's been self-medicating for years and years and years, they've developed these solutions on how to handle these problems. And like you said, if they don't learn the tools in whatever drug or alcohol rehab that they go to on how to handle those things when they leave, then they are going to run into those. And then also, you know, with my book, I wrote it um, not just for the addict, but for the loved one, if, you know, if they're going to be helping them so that they can kind of get a viewpoint of, you know, these are the things that need to change right. for the addict, and this is how you can help. You know, and one of the key things is... Um, just a reminder, you're listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast, please reach out to us on Facebook. There is a Facebook page called the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you'd like further information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 1-877-339-3324. That's 1-877-339-3324. So like we were talking earlier about, you know, the mom pushing the buttons or the dad wanting to you know, the, the son to be a doctor and, you know, these things all created conflicts that caused the addict to go out and use, you know, if, if, if you don't come up with other coping mechanisms or other ways to handle life struggles, then it's going to lead you back straight to your addiction, you know, and one of the, one of the big points I want to bring up that I go over a little bit in my book is enablers. 
And unfortunately, this is like a big thing that loved ones, you know, do. And um, sometimes they don't even know they're doing it. And, you know, they're generally trying to help the addict and they love them and they want to help them. But by enabling them, and I'm actually going to clear what this means because a lot of people actually don't even know what it means. By all means. So first of all, first of all, an enabler is. The word enabler comes from the word enable, meaning to make possible or easy. In dealing with addiction, enabling is defined as accommodating the addicted individual in order to protect them from facing the full consequences of their drug use. And in other words, I'm going to give you some examples. Wow, that's, I mean, that's a good definition, though. Thank you. Yeah, it is. And um, it can make you think a minute because sometimes you don't even realize that you're enabling them. So these are these are some great questions to ask yourself or ask another. Have you ever helped them to get drugs by giving them money or other assistance? Mm-hmm. Have you ever allowed them to use drugs in your home or in your immediate environment? Or did you know they were using in your home and you just didn't do anything about it? Right. Have you ever paid for their rent, their cell phone, their other bills? You know, have you covered for them, made excuses for them? when they didn't make it to work or they didn't show up at a family function, you know, and unfortunately this happens frequently. And if you're doing these things, you are definitely enabling them. And that's not really helping them. If you're doing that, you know, I know your intention is, you know, out of love. Um, and, And, you know, I understand because addicts, you know, they can hard be very hard to deal with and, they can be pretty obnoxious and they can get angry and they can use all those emotions and they can push your buttons and make you feel bad. Um, but the solution is not to enable. It really isn't. Right. And somewhere along the line, you're going to have to cut them off and they're going to have to face, you know, face up to the responsibility and the consequences of their actions because otherwise they're not going to change them. Right. And I can see where that would also be important when the addict has completed rehab and come home. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you, you can't enable them anymore and they can't expect you to, you know, and that's where I said, you know, they're not cured. And, you know, so when they come back, you know, there's things you need to do. They need to be, you know, um, you need to trust them a little bit at a time. You know, you're not, they're not going to walk in the door and you're going to say, okay, you know, you know, uh, maybe a youngster is going to go back and maybe he's not so young, maybe he's 21 and he's going to go live with family while he gets his, you know, feet on the ground. And, you know, you're not going to, he's not going to walk in the door. You should not give him, here's your car, you know, here's the car keys, here's a hundred dollars, here's a cell phone, here, 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 you know, that's not going to help them at all. You know, he has to earn those things, you know, and he has to take responsibility for his life and his actions. And by giving him those things without any work, he's not earning them. And that's actually going to make him also possibly relapse or fall on his face again. Right. You know, because he himself thinks, oh, yeah, I do deserve these things because I've done really great the whole time I was in rehab and I feel really good. And he's probably good intention, too. 
but because he didn't work for those things, he didn't earn them, you know, um, it's just not going to work. Right. Exactly. You know, I'm just looking through the, the different chapters in your book, and I was noticing the one that says, help someone else and give back. I think right. that's, that's just, I mean, it's simple. And you go, well, of course, because it's something that you and I maybe do, you know, innately. But I think to put that there as something that the um, that the ex-addict can actually put attention on and strive for, I think, is it's brilliant. Yeah, I think it's really, really important. And, you know, all my years in rehab, I said repeatedly, you know, the best way to help yourself is to help someone else. Right. You know, um, because of a lot of addicts, you know, you know, poor me, I've had a rough life, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's like a lot of people have had it a lot rougher than you. And, um, and also they can learn from you, you know, and they can learn what you went through and that, you know, you got through it and they can get through it. So I think it's really key that, you know, and, and I'm not saying everybody needs to go work at rehab or, you know, volunteer at some nonprofit or anything like that. Right. But anything you can do to help another you know, the way I look at it is it makes you stronger. It makes you stronger as a human being, and it makes you stronger in your sobriety. And I agree. And there are so many ways that people can give back. I mean, you know, I've interviewed so many graduates um, from the Narcanon program. Some of them are going to work at Narcanon. Some of them aren't going to work at Narcanon. But one for one, they feel like they are giving back when they do an interview on the podcast. Um, last week's episode, um, I played uh, a recording from a gentleman whose son was an addict. And when I asked him if I could play it on the podcast, and he said, absolutely, if I can help one person, then, you know, it's valuable to me, which I understand. I, I sometimes think, well, I know that with addicts, their attention is all on themselves and has been as long as they've been addicted to drugs. But I think that if, you know, any of them listening or, you know, any of them, any former addicts listening, if they could really get the concept of what it's like when you help somebody else, it's, it's better than any drug. It's way better than any drug ever. (laughs) Do you know? And I think, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very rewarding, you know, um, and it helps, it helps you in many ways, just as much as it helps the other person. That's right. You know, and it gives, it gives you a purpose in life for starters. Um, you know, and, and you can also use your expertise and your experience, uh, to help another individual. And also, you know, it it takes you out of your own problems, right? you know, and, and the whole poor me syndrome, you know, it's like, maybe this guy's situation worse than yours. Maybe it isn't, but right now this person needs your help and you can help them. And people are surprised how rewarding it is. I'm not surprised, but I know a lot of people are. It's true. And they will just be so flipped out that they actually got to help a person, do you know? And it's, it's, it's like I say, it's better than any drug you could ever experience. Absolutely. And that addict you were saying, you know, um, 
when he said, if I could help one person, you know, I, I'll do it, you know, yep. and, and that's really the truth because you never know who's going to connect with you and you never know who is going to get something out of your story or what you have to say or the advice you can give or however it is you're helping, you know, this individual, you know, it might really ring true with that person. It might really resonate. So it's really worth it, you know, even to help that one individual or help many. Right. I agree. I want to talk about the last chapter in your book, because I think it's the most special chapter. I mean, they're all good. Everything you put in there is good. And every, I can see that, you know, if I were a former addict, or if I had a family member that was a former addict, I would have them just actually go through each chapter and, you know, do the different exercises. But that's the one, your daily happy. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. yes, I think it's really important, and that's why I added it, um, and that's why I put it at the last chapter. Um, you know, I think it's it's important for anybody, but it's really important for someone in recovery to really find something in life that gives them pleasure and happiness, whatever that may be. I mean, if it's as simple as, you know, a walk on the beach or a hike in the mountains or go playing with your dog or spending time with your family, whatever it is, I think it's really important that you take time every day. Um, And I called it in the the chapters called your daily happy for you to get some joy out of life. Because another thing that I, I think happens, you know, not just with addicts, but with people is they go through life and it can be depressing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you're dealing with your boss and working and trying to pay the bills and you're raising a family and you've got the husband and the work and the neighbor and people screaming at you and whatever. And it's kind of like this is another thing that can really, you know, beat you down and wear you down and lead you to drinking or lead you back to your addiction. But it's like you've got to take a moment for you. You've got to take a moment and say, okay, what do I really enjoy? What do I really like? Maybe you want to learn how to play the guitar. Well, you know, to me, I don't care if you take 15 minutes a day, half an hour, an hour, whatever you have. And, you know, just take that moment and really expand on on giving yourself some joy and happiness. I think that's really important. And then that can make all the hardships in your life worth it. You're getting some pleasure. Exactly. I think I think it's a very good point. And I think so often... All of us forget to do that, even even those of us who, you know, haven't gone through addiction or rehab. You know, I forget sometimes exactly. because we just get so mired into everything that has to be done. We forget to do some of the things that we want to do just because there's a lot of joy in doing them. I think I think it's brilliant that you included it because I think sometimes we go, oh, well, of course. Yeah, but you don't always think of it, do you know? And I think exactly. Yep. Yep. Kathy, if somebody wants to get your book, how do they do that? Okay, well, they can go on Amazon. It's on Amazon right now. And again, it's After Rehab, A Simple Guide to Aid in Lasting Sobriety. And they can get the paperback, or it's also on there as an ebook. Perfect. And, what- and in the near future, I will be uh, translating it to Spanish. 
Awesome. I was just going to ask you, what's next for you? You've, are you still working in rehab? You're going to write more books? What's, what's, what's next for you? Well, I am consulting. I am doing some consulting for various rehabs, so I am still in the field. Okay. And as I said a moment ago, I am, this book is going to be translated into Spanish, or it's already started, so that'll be out shortly. And yes, I am going to be writing another book that's probably a little bit more detailed for each of these chapters. So it's going to expand on it and probably add some chapters. Okay. And if someone wanted to reach out to you um, to for counseling, like a rehab one to reach out for you, do you have a website or an 800 number or how would I, they reach you? I do have a, a, a website. It's called afterrehabbook.com. And there is an email on that website, which is Kathy at afterrehabbook.com, where they can contact me. Perfect. And that's Kathy with a K. So I want to just repeat for all our listeners that the book is called After Rehab, A Simple Guide to Aid in Lasting Sobriety by Kathy Dion, Kathy with a K, D-I-O-N. And the website, say it one more time for me, Kathy. Afterrehabbook.com. Great. Afterrehabbook.com. You can get her book on Amazon. I know it's available for Kindle and paperback. Kathy, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate your insight. And I think your book is brilliant for what it provides to people who've gone through this whole procedure. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. And keep keep us posted on your next book. And whatever new games you get into in the area of rehab. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I just thought that that, um, I, I just, I really like talking to Kathy because I think she's got some really, really simple things that can be done. And, you know, I mentioned before I played the uh, interview that, you know, the holidays are a really super stressful time. They're stressful for me sometimes, and I'm not an addict, and I'm not a former addict, but they're stressful. Mm-hmm. There's, they, they are. there's so many different activities, and you have to be around family, and sometimes the family members that you're around, you may or may not like. And here's another thing, like, let's say I'm a, I am a sober person, and I've got an uncle who just loves to get drunk every time the family gets together. Well, mm-hmm. that could be a little stressful for me. And I think yeah. that and I think that what's in her book are some really good, you know, steps to um to be able to handle just the stress not only of everyday living but also especially for the holidays. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I like how the steps um for sober living in that book after rehab they're simple and they're easy. And I think the easy, the best way to do things is to keep it simple and easy because if you do things that are very common sense wise, um, as far as your recovery goes, especially, you know, soon out of rehab, I feel like it's going to just keep the door open for a lot longer periods of sobriety and more success because it's very easy for us to overthink things, especially in early sobriety. And, you know, overthinking things can kind of make things, you know, complex that don't need to be and keeping it very, very simple and having little things that you can do to make sure you stay on track, I think is extremely valuable. I agree. I agree. And for anybody listening, we are going to be um, cutting. Jason is going to write in conjunction with um, 
one of his fellow staff members, kind of a survival guide for the holidays. And we'll be yeah. email, we'll be emailing that out. So if you would like... How to survive your family. Exactly. Or <laughs> uh, just how to survive the holidays. But anyway, if you'd like a copy of that, if you go to our Facebook page, the Addiction Podcast Point of No Return, you can message Steve or I. Steve is our producer. And um, we will add, give just give us an email and we'll add you to the email list, list mm-hmm. and make sure you get that guide because I think it would Absolutely. be really valuable for you. So Jason, we will talk again next week. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited about the interview we have next week because, Me too. because her drug of choice was fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Interesting, I, isn't it? I know. And we talk all the time about how, you know, this or that is laced with fentanyl. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really interesting to hear, interested to hear her story and how she got clean and, you know, what she's doing now. So that will be next week. And Jason, you have a good week and I will as well. You too. All right. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Fair enough. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 